This is episode number 211 of the Rising Man podcast with Yvonne Kushan Soom. Sometimes the pathway forward requires a look backward. What's up, Rising Man family? Thank you for joining me here again for another Rising Man podcast episode. My name is Jedi Azuma here, hosting for today, and so excited to introduce today's guest. Before I do, we haven't mentioned this in a while here on the podcast intros, but the Rising Man Fire Circles, our online virtual network of men from all over the world, organized into teams, supporting each other, creating high levels of accountability, and really just creating some badass community. We've got almost 60 men from all over the world now, and it's such a wonderful opportunity to become a backbone member of the Rising Man organization. These guys who are in our community are strong men, good men, ready to support, ready to hold you accountable, and and the opportunity to just practice being on a men's team is tremendous. So if you've never heard of the Fire Circles, please go check it out today, risingman.org slash fire circles. It's easy. It's a monthly membership, really affordable, and you get so much benefit from being a bigger part of this community at the heart of it. So go check it out today. All right. Today's guest is Ivan Sawyer, also known as Ivan Kushan Soom. He is a cultural entrepreneur, media producer, and indigenous rights activist. Among other things, he's been involved in different cultural exchange, sustainability, and indigenous knowledge preservation initiatives in different parts of North and South America for over a decade. He has collaborated with Unify.org, the Global Eco Village Network, NewMundo.org, Four World International Institute, Guardians of the Forest, and with events such as the annual Consejo de Visiones, Guardianes de la Tierra in Mexico. Ivan is the founder and director of Voices of Ameriqua, a collaborative media laboratory that supports and promotes the voices of indigenous peoples of North, Central, and South America, and their efforts to protect their culture, land, and rights using impact campaigns, social media, and documentaries. In this episode, Ivan and I discussed some powerful topics. Right off the bat, we discussed how patriarchy is not only maintained and supported by men, it's supported and participated in by women also. We discussed growing up with a mixed ethnic background, the impact and challenges that we both faced. We talked about what it was like to grow up in a community where freedom and free thinking was encouraged. What were the costs and how Yvonne adjusted to normal educational systems and structures after being raised in alternative environments. Yvonne discussed using digital media and arts to share voices of indigenous peoples that are still alive today. We discussed a path forward for healing the period of colonization, recognizing and acknowledging the past in order to create a new future together. Without further ado, Yvonne Sawyer. All right, Rising Man family, I've got another amazing guest joining me here today. Today I've got Yvonne Sawyer, also known as Yvonne Kushan Sum, coming in live from Teposlan, Mexico. Good to see you, bro. Nice to meet you. Thanks for being on the show. Hey, really good to be here, brother. Thanks for having me. What an honor yeah. and yeah. pleasure. Quick shout out to my sister, Maya Casilda, who connected us for the first time. And uh, what I love about having you as a guest on here, Yvonne, is when we, I'll, I'll share this because nobody else will know this conversation. When I first reached out to you and said, hey, I'd love to have you as a guest on the show. You said, well, I don't really know much about men's work. I'm not really involved in it, but I'll come on because, but I'm not sure what I'm going to share. And I thought that was so perfect because the, qual the main qualifier is that you're a man having an experience on this planet with a lot of really amazing work to share and an experience that will be valuable. And so I wanted to say that because I think it's also important. A lot of times people come on this show and they already have a reference for this work and this world. And I actually think that your perspective is even more valuable because it's a little bit from outside of that bubble, you know? 
All right. Well, let's see how it goes. I'm, I'm happy to be here and honored. And I've been listening to some of the episodes of the show and I'm finding really interesting, you know, the people that you bring on and, and happy to be here. All right. Well, if you've been listening to the show, then you saw this one coming a mile away. The first question is, what does it mean to be a man? What does it mean to be a man? Um, let's see. I guess it's something that I'm still, I'm still figuring out, you know, uh, we, we are taught, uh, something, uh, by society, by culture. And, um, even though I didn't grow up in, in a very, you know, formal traditional Catholic, because here in Mexico, you know, it's, it's very Catholic country and very macho culture and so on. And, um, I do, I do feel that we have a, a lot of programming around what it is to be a man, but there are many definitions to what it is to be a man and everyone defines in a different way. And even now today with the gender variants and so on, it doesn't even uh, uh, define as being born with a penis is because they have penis because so there's men that weren't born with penis. So I guess a man is what you decided to be and what a man makes it. I love that answer, man. That's definitely the, orientation that I've come to with and why I ask that question every time, because I think it is such a very personal definition with oftentimes there's a lot of overlap for, for certain people when it comes to what is my definition of being a man. But I think it's important that we don't create one acceptable category or distinct definition of what manhood is. Otherwise it doesn't leave room for people, like you said, who identify as a man, but not by the traditional standards or by the standards that we were raised in. So Growing up in Me Mexico, I want to ask you, what were some of the examples of what it meant to be a man that you saw, that you witnessed, that was part of that culture you were raised in growing up that you no longer subscribe to, you no longer associate with what it means to be a man. And maybe, maybe you've even had to unlearn that being part of what manhood is as you become an adult. Yeah. Well, you know, I wasn't raised, like I said, in a very traditional family and there were expectations around what it was to be a boy, what it was to be a man, what a man was supposed to do, be like, behave like, not like. But I think I really didn't subscribe to a lot of things very young. Mm -hmm. And um, and I do still need to go, uh, we know we continuously need to uncondition ourselves. But um, so your question is, what are things that, uh, that, that I was maybe programmed to believe that I am deconditioning myself around being a bad man. I guess, you know, there's a lot that has to do with the, with the male leadership, that it's the man that has to lead, that it's the man that has to decide that it's the man that has to pay, you know, the bill. And although I, I you know, there's some of those things that it may come from our own, you know, will or want to, to us as men, you know, I think we want to be sometimes the caretakers and be uh, generous in, in the way we are, but it has to come from a place of really um, uh, wish of, of, of sharing and not of wish of domination. And there is, I think you probably talk about this in, in a lot of the programs, but it has to be, has to do with this, this patriarch, patriarchal. Uh, way of thinking. And I think we, we really still need to deprogram ourselves and, and me, you know, as, a, as uh, I'm almost 40 years old, I think even though I wasn't 
I didn't grow up in a very traditional family. I still have a lot of the, that programming in me and have to um, believe in, in ways that still need to, to deconstruct and, 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 and see that, you know, men and women and other genders, we need to walk together, not one in front of the other, not one yeah. on top of the other. And I think that Mexican macho culture does say like, uh, or does show, uh, try and teach us that, no, it's the man that needs to dominate and it's the man that needs to, you know, and we see that in, in, in everywhere in, in organizations and politics where it is mostly men that lead, you know, and I think that even though uh, I feel uh, there's a lot of resistance into the feminist movement from, from males from, uh, and I don't know if that's the same in the, in the U S uh, but it, it's not, um, I mean, we can't deny that we've never had a, a woman president in, in, in the history in Mexico. And I, I think in the U.S., yeah, as well. So there are unbalances and, and uh, it does come from this patriarchal belief that maybe men are better or men have had more opportunities. And that's uh, men have more opportunities in, in those places. And, and I think there is, there is a time for adjustment and that where we, we can walk together. And it's not saying that that men do, uh, that now women have to lead, but no, I think that we can walk together and, and, and I'm really uh, inspired to be in a world where we can walk together as men, women, and other genders and not as necessarily men being the one that dominates or leads likewise. as we were taught. Yeah, likewise. And I think it's fair to say, I don't think there are many people would argue that a lot of that patriarchal mindset of the men being the ones who lead comes from the colonial influence. Even the, the Europeans who came across the ocean to, to settle on these shores, that it was, it was men, right? These were, these were missions and, and uh, initiatives that were launched and led by men. And so naturally the overtaking of one culture over the other, infusing its culture into the people who were living here, because my understanding is that in in the americas in in the land that we call the that we now modern times call the americas there weren't the the same social structures it was like you said more men and women walking in tandem or even matriarchal societies where where women were the uh quote-unquote chiefs making ultimate decisions for the people on behalf of the people but i think the difference is is that everyone had a very clear role and i don't know what you believe but i think a lot of the resistance that may come with the like you said, the feminist movement or men who are afraid that what, what, what happens if we relinquish some of the power and authority that's been nurtured and, and conquered for over many, many generations is that, well, what will, what, what will our function and purpose be if not to serve in this role? I think a lot of the, I keep saying the word traditional. I think I need to find a better word than traditional right now in this context. The typical structures we see in Western societies, modern Western societies has, like you said, male presidents, right? Men serving in political office, men serving as the leaders of corporations and organizations. And even though it's shifting now, there's still largely the expectation. And I think there's a lot of a lot of men, and especially the ones who are in resistance to change, are afraid deep down. Well, what 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 would happen to me if I'm no longer the leader? If I if I'm not in a position of authority, how what would what would that mean for me? Uh, what are your thoughts on, on that perspective? Um, yeah, I think there is uh, a lot of fear and a resistance. And I've seen in the last few years, a lot of um, uh, the rise of the feminist movement and also here in, in Mexico and, and how 
um, there is a lot of resistance and even sometimes burla, how do you say, uh, they, they laugh upon, you know, I, I see this male reaction on social media where they are laughing and they are insulting and they are, um, like, like, like almost saying, Oh, like why, you know, why would, uh, they believe we are equal almost like, well, why would, uh, or what are they complaining about? You know, uh, as if, as if, um, as if this structure was also chosen by women. And I guess it, 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 that, that's also true because there's a lot of, uh, 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 explanations about how patriarchy is also maintained by women, you know, and that's also something that needs to patriarchy is not yeah. only maintained and imposed by men, it is mm -hmm. also maintained and imposed by women. But women speaking out about, about um, injustices, uh, I think, uh, yeah, there is a reaction sometimes coming from the, the, the scared, uh, uh, wounded masculine saying, uh, that doesn't want to, um, that is a, uh, reacts in a sort of um, way that uh, that does not uh, give uh, credit to the the this uh, balance seeking energy because I see it as a, an energy seeking balance in the world that uh, uh, the feminist movement isn't uh, isn't only about women you know it's also about finding more balance and so they're saying oh then feminist then uh, what's the, what's the opposite of me uh, feminist you know uh, what how uh, why, why, as if, if this was a, a movement seeking separation, you know, like the black lives matter. It's like, oh, well, white ma lives matter too and blue lives matter and so on. But no, it's because when there is an imbalance, we need to address that. And, and black lives matter is not only uh, black people in that movement and feminist movement isn't only for women. It's about coming together to find more of those balances. At least that's how I see it. And uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I love your perspective, Yvonne, and I was hoping you could speak a little bit more on your upbringing. Because when I asked you that question, you said, you know, I wasn't raised in a traditional. It sounded like a traditional Mexican upbringing. Um, that's that's would represent more of what we've just been speaking about. But what was what was your upbringing like, and how did that influence you? What did how did that lead you down your path? Yeah, uh, yeah. I said I'm not a very traditional. I come from a mixed background. My father is American born. Uh, California. My mother is Mexican. They both came from Catholic families, but they were already from the hippie era that they had already, you know, uh, were seeking out of traditional society and very young had, you know, become uh, spiritual seekers and environmentalists. And uh, I grew up in a small town south of Mexico City called Tepoztlan. My parents arrived here about 40 years ago. They weren't exactly hippies, but they were you know, of that generation seeking, like I said, out of traditional society. They met down here uh, in Mexico. Uh, they were in a, in a spiritual path together that is called the fourth way that comes out of Gurdjieff, a teacher from uh, Europe, uh, Russia, actually, that is a philosophy of a way of life, of, of what they call the work, which has to do with um, bringing attention and consciousness into, into our life and our daily life and our, uh, and different spiritual practices that are not religious, but have to do with consciousness and being conscious of, uh, of different areas of our lives is the best way I can describe it right now. But, uh, uh anyway, I wasn't 
uh, I didn't grow up Catholic. You know, I'm the only person, I guess, in my my entire family in both sides that wasn't even baptized. And in Mexico, that's really rare to have somebody that wasn't baptized by the church. You know, I still had people, aunties, telling me that I was going to go to hell and that I needed to be baptized. And 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 so that that's very rare in Mexican society. And my and my my parents weren't very. Uh, traditional in the sense that they they we grew up in a community that was very um, with uh, in a small town uh, kind of like a, uh, uh, other families similar kind of hippie kids you know they had our own our school and they uh, many were vegetarian you know uh, um, so many of our parents were spiritual seekers very active politically environmentalists artists. Uh, you know, so uh, let, let me let me jump in for just a second because yeah, yeah. uh, I, I love this part of your backstory. Um, I think that there was so my parents and your parents are of the same generation, right? Maybe your parents are slightly older than mine, uh, but you know, my parents were flower children in the '60s and the '70s, growing up, you know, free love, exploring all that. But I think most people, most who who lived through the '60s and '70s that way, a lot of them went there and then they retracted and they kind of corrected and came back to more of what was acceptable in society. And I think pe- folks like your parents, they kind of squeaked through the membrane, right? Like they, they they made it past the resistance point and actually started living their lives that way more than just going to Woodstock and you know taking psychedelics and smoking weed and partying for a while. They actually kept going because. You know, my parents, they both had their experiences of the 60s and 70s, but eventually they came back to suburban lifestyle, nuclear family, you know, nine to five job. My dad worked in corporate for, you know, 35 years. And just hearing that, I think of it as you, so you, you're like a generation ahead, right? Because for me and my friends that we are mutual friends, Emiliano, Maya, um, our families are trying to create that for our children now. So it's almost like I'm in the position that your parents were in and I'm looking at you saying, okay, that's that's where I hope my children would be. I just wanted to highlight that because it's like, oh, okay. So, because I believe that it's a lot of distance to cover, to break out of the you know religious dogma of society. If a lot of us have been brought up in that, especially for multiple generations, on top of the, you know, nuclear, the ideas of having a nuclear family and living separate in separate dwellings and not really interacting with your neighbors so much, the mm-hmm. ideas of convenience and participating in the social machine. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a lot to go from that to what your parents were doing and what you were raised in, right? Mm, yeah. Yeah, totally. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, what else? Uh so yeah, kind of like what I meant with non-traditional upbringing is that I was already, I mean, I grew up in a space where freedom was encouraged, where non-traditional values were encouraged, though where, you know, um, we were not, not, not put in boxes and really raised in a way where like, you know, you, you can uh, create the world you imagine and you can explore your own selves in a different way and and it doesn't matter that you don't fit in society because society uh, is leading us the wrong direction anyway you know my my father was from the vietnam war generation he um escaped the 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 draft he was uh, involved in the civil rights movement uh so i had i feel i had values in my family that were all about you know uh, understanding and incorporating uh uh, different ways of being and, 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 and 
accepting and in being tolerant to different cultures and, 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 and values. And, and I think that I have that very strong in me that in the sense that, you know, uh, I, I don't, I, I accept and value diversity uh, above everything and really, really value that diversity. And, 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 and it's, I hold that very strongly as part of the values that I want to uh, hold and share in all the work that I do is, is valuing diversity and not trying to do, do one worldview dominate over the other, but really be accepting of different ways of being, you know, that I think that that's something that I, I, I hold strongly. Yeah. Well, kudos to your parents for raising you in that way and figuring out how to do it. It's certainly, I think a lot of people would call that an alternative lifestyle uh, in comparison to the norm. And I mean, I'm interested because obviously, like I said, it's very personal for me. That's a big part of my vision and mission is to raise my children in more of an alternative fashion, closer to what you described your experience of growing up as. Uh, obviously, I think a lot of us will sometimes idealize that, that way of raising children and, and, and only see the, the obvious benefits of it. I wonder, were there any costs to being raised that way? As you look back, was there anything that you missed out on or anything that ended up being a challenge for you as you made your way into adulthood? Yeah, well, actually, it's a good question that you ask. Uh, we, we lived in a ranch, in a very rural ranch where I was um, younger for a few years. I have an older sister. And uh, when we went back to our, our other town where we were, and uh, we had this like a school for alternative school, my sister didn't didn't want to go to the alternative school. She said, I, I just want to go to the normal school, mom. And she yeah. went to the normal public school in town. And, um, and as we grew up, and I think a lot of kids in my community as well, that uh, coming out of this alternative education and then going to normal high school or college was very difficult because we were not used to those ex expectations uh, and those values. And, you know, when, when we hit high school and college, it is like the rest of the world, uh, you know, you, you, you want to make money, you want to um, fit certain standards in society that weren't really the standards that we were raised. And it was, I think it was hard for a lot of kids in my generation to, to go to bust the bubble of the, the that we grew up in and to uh, find success in the normal world. And for example, I didn't, I ended up not going to college. Uh, so I didn't have a formal university. And in that moment I was like, oh, I want to travel and, and I worked and I, and I did other things, but now I look back and I kind of wish I had made, had a formal education, which I'm still lacking. And so the free total freedom had little structure to, in which to make a, a, uh, and, and then that, that becomes like an issue later on. And, and for example, my sister, she broke out the, of the bubble really young and pursued a completely different way, uh, of living. Uh, she went to normal college, got a master's degree, worked for the United Nations. Now, I guess a lot of the same values, but into the mainstream world, you know, where she, uh, she definitely does not, uh, not keen at all into the hippie lifestyle or the, right. you know, she's just, just and many of the people that grew up in our um, community, they're sometimes going to extremes, you know, I, I, the children of hippies sometimes become the most mainstream normal right. people you would ever, ever imagine. 
Right. Is what I'm trying to say. You know, it's not because you grow up in this way that you, you usually seek completely opposite of the way that you grew up. So in that sense, there's many things in, uh, in the way that, that we were raised that, that um, may um, kind of, you sometimes feel abnormal and that's kind of uncomfortable when you go to college and school it's cool and you you, you want to be normal you don't want to be the the weird kid you don't want to be the the one that stands out and and that 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 creates a, a i think um but it 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 goes both ways you know some so like you say there are some downsides and there are some upside everybody's like oh it's so cool you grew up like this and and, and sometimes i'm like sometimes i just wish i was grew up in a normal family in the city totally well i actually don't but (laughs) no i know and i think it's important to acknowledge i appreciate your perspective on it and it's actually really interesting how you have the contrast between your experience and your sisters to look at because it's a good demonstration that there's costs to everything even raising our our children in this in this idealized version of what it looks like to be removed from society and unplugged from screens uh, I've I've worked with a lot of homeschooled children, a lot of young boys and teens uh, who've been homeschooled their whole lives, and they have a very difficult time, like you said, adapting to and participating in the more conventional social structures, especially when they have to get into high school and college, like you said. And so it's it's good to note that it's it's not all it's not all gravy, right? It doesn't it doesn't all end up working out? And I wonder. What do you what do you think is the is the best way to have the best of both worlds? Right? How how do we raise? How do we find that balance of raising our kids in alternative ways so they don't get swept up into this greater machine of society, but also still able to participate in it? Right? Like speak the language and and be engaged with people at that level. Yeah, well, it's a fine line to walk, and. Um, and I don't know the answer. I see, I see that. I saw, see, say, I don't have kids yet. And uh, I, you know, many of my friends that have kids. And um, I think that I really think that growing up in nature is important and living. Uh, I think that, you know, I spent a lot of time in nature growing up and, and I see the, 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 where I live. I mean, not everybody has the opportunity, of course, to, to, to be in a place, you know, in contact with nature, uh, in contact with um, art, with creativity, encouraging art and creativity in children, encouraging uh, them to explore themselves and 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 explore the way that they want to uh, express themselves in the world, and really uh, be very, um, uh, very promoting that sort of growth in, in, in kids and not cutting off their creativity. And I think it's hard now with technology and people, you know, being addicted to phones and iPads and all of that. But, you know, you, you, you we have to uh, really find ways in which, um, uh, in, in which children can, can grow in a, in a much more uh, free environment and i think that there's probably uh, educational tools and spaces and even in urban areas you know i want to think of those people that are listening and that are in in, in urban areas but you know are looking for ways to raise their kids uh, more in contact with nature and more in contact with art and creating community and, and it's really hard with this whole covid time where kids have been stuck inside and you know, I can I can really see how hard it has been for kids and for parents raising kids in this 
COVID era, no? Um, and and I, I I I don't know I don't know what to say, but yeah, yeah. nature art. I hear you. Well, let's uh, let's pivot a little bit more into your work in this world. Um, you know, it's so it's been so nice hearing about your upbringing and the values that were instilled in the way that you were raised. Uh, would you identify yourself as a as a filmmaker, a photographer? When you when you tell people what you do, because I, I didn't even ask before we started. Yeah, uh, I'm a photographer. I'm a media creator. I'm an activist. Uh, I studied photography and visual arts, uh, and I have done that throughout most of uh, my life. I created a multimedia platform that is called Voices of Americua that is sharing the voices of indigenous people of Central, North, and South America uh, and their different struggles and uh, ways of protecting land, uh, of protecting their culture and their rights. So this media platform, I've collaborated with several documentaries, produced several documentaries, and we also help um, so create and lead social media campaigns around these issues uh, online and offline as well. And, and yeah, so it's it's a platform I created. It's voicesofamericua.net. The, the name Americua comes from an ancient name of the continent, America. We usually learn that the, um, uh, the name America comes from Americo Vespucius, who was the first man that mapped the continent. But there were some researchers that found that there was an ancient name from the continent, which was also called Turtle Island for North America. Abiyayala is another name that the continent has been named in, in another indigenous language. And Americua, which seems that was a name uh, given to the continent by an indigenous tribe that used to live in Nicaragua, which is in Central America. And they had a, a Mayan dialect that in which they named the continent Americua, which means place of the four winds. So I heard that many years ago. I, I don't actually know if it's completely true or not, uh, but I have found uh, bibliography and researchers that actually claim, uh, but I was looking for a name that symbolized the, the union of the Americas because I have a uh, uh, bicultural background and bilingual background and I've, I've traveled extensively in South America and I always was seeing how there were parallels in in the movement, indigenous movements of the North and indigenous movements of the South, I was in, in, during my uh, growing up. Um, I also was very influenced by the Zapatista movements and the indigenous movements in here in Mexico and Chiapas, and uh, and I was, you know, inspired to see how we could use media as a way to bridge movements of the North and of the South, uh, and the kind of like this eagle condor vision and how. Um, and how there needed to be more this bridge so that people in the North could see and support what was happening in the South and people in the South could see and support what was going on in the North. And that's how uh, I came up with the idea of this media platform and then of the name Americua, which for me was a way to bridge that uh, the continent, to see us as an entire continent. It's not only Turtle Island in the North. It's not only North America. It's not only South America. It's the Americas. You know, it includes Central America as well. And we are one. We are one big, huge continent that goes all the way from Alaska to the South, uh, from um, South America to Patagonia, you know. And that, that, that vision of a unified continent is something that has inspired me and, and see how we are 
much more than these political borders, you know, because political borders is something that was right. brought by colonialism as well, and that we created these countries and these. But before these countries, there are a lot of indigenous nations that have been there before way before these political borders and transcend these political borders because many indigenous nations are actually uh, between different countries. They belong in different countries. So uh, seeing how geography and language are there as maps before our political maps brought. And so I've always been exploring about how media and digital media as well and arts can be a way of sharing these voices, these voices of the Americas, these voices of the of the indigenous people of the Americas that are not ancient voices. They are voices that are alive today, that are still uh, alive in many parts of the continent and that we as non-indigenous people also belong to because now it's not only the indigenous people, but it's, it's the the settlers that have come and the other cultures that have been uh, come uh, from Africa as well. And we have blended together to create a new culture. You know, right. the culture, the, the rainbow culture, which is called in many other uh, and, and which is the blending of many different nations and the Asians as well. So we all come have come together. America has been a melting pot of all the cultures of the world that have come together and create new cultures as well. So but to create a new culture, we have to really take and understand and 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 and, and, and consider what has come before us. You know, and, and consider the, the, you know, who are the original keepers and our original guardians of our lands. And I think that, you know, to really uh, it's, it's about that. It's about listening to the ancient voices and going forward with that understanding and respect for who has been here before because you know i'm i'm not indigenous i'm um, we call here mestizo is a mixture of european blood with mostly european blood and some maybe indigenous blood somewhere so as mestizos as non-indigenous people as white uh, maybe white people how can we be good allies to our uh, indigenous brothers and sisters who are still alive and who have many uh, issues and many uh, struggles to protect the land that is theirs and is ours as well. But we have to be more as allies. So this has been part of my ongoing research and work and that has led me to create Voices of Americua. Yeah. Uh, well, I, I love that conversation because I myself have ancestry that's not from this land. At least uh, two generations back, my my grand my gra grandparents and some great grandparents came from other parts of the world and then came here, but I was born here. I was born in, in New Jersey, right outside New York City. My my DNA came into existence on on this land, and so and obviously that's the story for so many people, um, just like yourself as well. So that it's it's important to have this other narrative. I think there's the prevailing narrative that well, since we've come from other places. And this land doesn't belong to us. We weren't the original custodians. Our people, my ancestors were not the original custodians of this land that I will forever not belong here, that I will forever have to live with this guilt and shame that comes from my people. And obviously, obviously the acknowledgement, the recognition, the reverence for what happened when when our peoples came from other, other parts of the world and, and took these lands and all of the atrocities that came in the colonial period that's in that's still ongoing obviously don't not to disregard any of that but to also have this dialogue of well what does it look like we're here we're here now right we can't we can't undo any of those things that have happened and what are the possibilities for us to actually 
live and coexist as this rainbow people, as this as this mixed people, giving deserved recognition and reverence and respect to the peoples who have been here for the longest period of time, who know this land the best, who still have traditions and customs and stories preserved from from their ancestors and relatives, but also to be able to partake in, in an honoring of this land that that we, that we come from, you know, that we literally were, you know, my whole life I've been consuming plants and animals that are from this land. I've, I've been becoming part of this land. And then, you know, I, and I like to, I like to look at it from that perspective because otherwise I think there's this perpetual foreigner. I'm, I'm not deserving of even being here. There's gotta be, a, there's gotta be a, a, a way to be in that relationship. Uh, I mean, I wonder what your perspective is because it's a, it's a difficult conversation to have. It's it's so much easier to say, you know what, it was all bad. Everything everything that happened here, it and and the only and that's the only story that will ever exist. I think there's got to be something that we all decide to move into together that creates a new possibility for us moving forward. Yeah, well, it's def- definitely a difficult conversation to have, and. Uh, part of it comes from just recognizing without guilt, but recognizing, uh, you know, the history. And uh, the problem is when you try to erase history and say like, oh, okay, like as if nothing had happened and say, oh, can't we just, you know, start again from zero and pretend that nothing happened and actually we can't. Uh, and I think that first is that, um, you know, there's a lot of, uh, in, in not so much in the U.S., but in Canada, this, this whole work about the, truth and reconciliation commissions and the work also in Latin America has to do with first understanding history and really uh, learning about history, wanting to learn about history and not wanting to close the door on things just because they're painful and just because they're uh, uncomfortable, uncomfortable, you know, because there is a lot of that. I think uh, the white guilt has to do with not talking about things and not addressing them because they're uncomfortable. And so that starts with that. And then, right relationship also has to do with honoring and recognizing whose land you are in. So I'm not, I can't really talk about this because I'm not from the U S but what I've been learning in the past few years has to do with, with that, with, uh, with right relationship has to do with recognizing whose land you are in and then maybe providing, creating and supporting community, community spaces. I mean, for those that are interested in engaging in right relationship and decolonizing work, it does have to do with, um, with uh, learning what's around, what the names of things are in the original language, what um, uh, what ways we can uh, give back to, to to communities that still are alive, and being allies of movements that are alive today, that are seeking uh, land back that are seeking at least the protection of uh, sacred lands, territories, rivers, because many indigenous people today are defenders and and actively, you know, protect their mountain, their river. And so looking away doesn't help. It is saying this is, and that's kind of what Voices of Medicua was created about, was to help share these stories and these movements and ways in which people can engage and support. And, you know, this was a few years before Standing Rock movement. And I think everybody, you know, heard about Standing Rock and became an international thing. And that's why I believe Standing Rock movement was such an important moment because it was of bringing together indigenous and non-indigenous people together for that, for that, 
fight, you know, which, which happened there and it brought a lot of attention. And I went to Standing Rock and uh, when I was there, I heard somebody saying, this is amazing because this is like the only place where this is happening. And I thought, wait a minute. No, this isn't the only place where this is happening because there are many other Standing Rocks in the U.S. and there are many other Standing Rocks in all over the Americas. But what was so important about Standing Rock is that made that that wave of movement and brought so many people together in solidarity in that moment. And it, it, and it really was amazing. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't able to stop the pipeline in that place, but there are many other pipelines that have been before and after. And the, the call is to, is to actively support, you know, the, the, the movements that are there to protect our water to protect our mountains, to protect our rivers. And as indigenous and non-indigenous people, we all, we all belong to the land where we were born. So then we can, I think that it is important to, to come together more and to erase those barriers of race and culture and see, and recognize each other's all as, 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 as earth keepers or, you know, earth guardians, planetary guardians, and, and listen to those that, that, that were here before us and that can maybe lead the way but then come together because when we come in respect, you know, the people there at Standing Rock and other movements are very welcoming of non-Indigenous people to come and support, but not saying, not in the way that, oh, we know better or, or, or uh, leading the way, you know? And yeah. then once that, then we can create a, a more, more movements together. Yeah, it, it, it brings up something I don't think I've ever shared on the podcast here before, but I imagine that other people have a, a similar experience. And uh, in the conversation of decolonization and also this conversation of um, putting an end to patriarchal structures in our society, as a man, I find that there's a lot of this, there's this experience that I don't know exactly what my role is. I don't know, I don't know what to do to make things better. Uh, and it could be, you know, and fill in the blank conversation, right? There's so many different um, there's so many different initiatives that are trying to make our society better and move us in a positive direction. But one of the things that I experience is it's just like with children. Like when I observe my, my kids playing and I see my son do something that, uh, you know, maybe he, they're playing a little bit rough and he pushes his, his friend and his friend falls down and gets hurt. You could see the process that my son goes through. He kind of recognizes I did something that injured my friend and now my friend feels sad. And because my friend feels sad, I what do I what? There's an opportunity for him to connect to the to the humanity, to empathize with his friend's experience. And it doesn't always happen this way because they're children. But when I when you can see remorse happen in a child, and they learn what remorse feels like, and then he can check on his friend and he can acknowledge, "I'm sorry, I did that." It's it's a beautiful thing. But when let's bring it back to what I was saying before, when we're talking about colonization. I, I wasn't here when a lot of this stuff happened. Like the stories that we're talking about acknowledging and paying respect to because I wasn't here and I wasn't, I wasn't the human who did that directly. It's difficult to go through that same process that my son would go through when he, you know, pushes his friend down and he gets hurt. So I think there's like this natural disconnect that we experienced because it's something that happened when we were never here. I've, I've, I've still, ex I've still experienced it on, on more of a, a spiritual or energetic plane, feeling the effects of what happened because decisions that were made by my ancestors or by people who came before me. But it's, it's, to me, it's a little bit different than actually having done those things myself in my life. And so it requires us to tap into something 
a little bit different. It, ha- it requires that, like you said, we we take the time to consider and reflect and think about the stories and understand the stories of what happened, really sit down with people who have a different version of the narrative that happened before any of us were alive, before any of us were actually here to pay respect to that, to really understand it and not just go into this guilty place. I think that's the other side of the spectrum. We, we think, well, then I just need to feel guilty about that. And that's going to somehow make it better. Cause that, that doesn't actually get anywhere to me. That's just, that's just a, a pit stop on the, on the road to a solution, but actually understanding it, feeling whatever we feel and seeing how we could improve the, the experience of, of all beings on this planet moving forward. Right. I think there's uh there's something about that that I think is important to acknowledge. Yeah, yeah. Well, you made me really think there. I think yeah, definitely guilt is not not the way. I, in Mexico, we also have a lot of this that has to do with our colonial um, culture in which many of us were brought uh, up. Um, I mean, in Mexico, just general mainstream culture still promotes patriarchy and racism and colonialism, you know, so it's how, okay, so let's not live in guilt, but let's not be perpetuators of neocolonialism. So that's where a lot of deep deconstruction has to happen because sometimes there's unconscious neocolonialism that we, and unconscious patriarchy that we are perpetuating. And I don't know the solution to that. I think that there's a lot of work that has to do that with like self-development Deep ecology is one one uh, stream that of 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 work uh, that that maybe uh, there's a lot of different you know work that we can do to to uh, deconstruct these types of things that we sometimes unconsciously perpetuate and that goes as for uh, patriarchy as it goes for colonialism as it goes for even racism. And we don't consciously, we're like, oh, I'm, you know, I see what you're saying when, you know, I was there. I went, and I'm sure that, you know, we don't consciously perpetuate many of these things, but unconsciously sometimes we do. And we have to be ready to observe that and not feel guilty about it, but just observe it and be okay with being called out um, and, and not react, but, you know, be able to, to transform that and be, uh, because we all want to, you know, I we all want to be better people on this earth. But um, there's there are a lot of people that consciously or unconsciously are uh, perpetuating these things. Yeah, hundred percent agree with you, and I think that's a really great point that we arrived to, Yvonne. It's been a, it's been a real pleasure, man. I just understanding a little bit more about your background and your upbringing and and your passion for activism and raising more. Uh, awareness on the efforts that are happening. Uh, I really liked what you shared about your your vision for bridging these different regions of the Americas and making people aware of what's happening because it's it's so important, so critical. And I know you have some projects that you're that you're working on that aren't aren't quite launched at the moment that we're recording this episode, but I want to give you some space to speak about them. Before we do that, we'll we'll finish on that note. I've got a few lightning round questions for you if you're if you're ready for it. Okay, okay, let's do it. All right. So real quick, short responses. What is one thing you've learned that you wish you knew when you were 18? One thing I've learned that I wish I knew when I was 18. Um, well, you know, regarding this, this part about, about, um, 
men's work and being a man. Um, I think when I was 18, I, I, I wasn't really, I was kind of feeling that the society, the way that society painted being a man was something that was purely coming out of the patriarchal construction and, and programming. And it's something that I was like, you know, I want nothing to do with that. And now I, I feel proud about being a man. I feel that being a man is not, I, I think I had maybe carried a lot, a lot of guilt because of the upbringing. Now I feel, no, being a man is something beautiful and we have a lot to share with the world and we have uh, a lot of medicine to bring to the world and um, we are powerful and we are beautiful and we have a lot to share. So that's something I wish I knew before uh, when I was 18. All right. And uh, what do you think is the single most important value to have as a man? If you could only choose one. Value that we could have, if I could only choose one value, it would be ah you got me here <laughs> what is what is what is the what, let me ask you a little bit differently what is the one most important thing that you think about when you live your life that you try to stay focused on You're like as long as i continue to be like this then i'm good Well, for me, it's, it's freedom. I've always been a freedom seeker. I'm, I'm an Aquarian. Uh, <laughs> I, I can't be put into, into boxes and I don't like categories and boxes and structure. And, and I will always break away from that. And um, yeah, so freedom. Awesome. I like that one. All right, Yvonne. Well, uh, please, uh, I, I know that you said uh, whatever projects you have going on, you're going to put them into your Instagram profile so people can access it. But it, wherever you want to tell people to go to check you out, make sure you mention your Instagram handle and anything else you want to say so people can find out about what you're involved in. Yeah, thank you. So my Instagram handle is Ivan Kushansum. That's I-V-A-N-K-U-X-A-N-S-U-M. And uh, I am right now I'm involved with an organization called the Indigenous Medicine Conservation Fund. And we, by the time this podcast come out, we'll probably have the Grow Medicine Campaign out, which is a campaign to support different indigenous people's efforts in the preservation of their biocultural uh, diversity. And these are mostly uh, communities that are uh, preserving culture and practices related to sacred medicines. That is ayahuasca, peyote, uh, iboga, um, the toad medicine. So many, maybe people out there that have been in contact with any of these medicines. Um, and, and these are ways that which we can give back to the community so that they can help protect their culture and their, the actual, the territories where these medicines grow. Um, in the case of peyote, for example, it's not, a, it's a, in danger of extinction. So anybody that's taking peyote, even in ceremonies, it's not being regenerated. It's a plant that's in danger of extinction. It takes more than 40, 50 years to reach an adult size. So, uh, it's, it's being, um, being, uh, uh, 
dis- it's disappearing. So that with Grow Medicine Campaign, we are helping to create uh, all the possibilities so that indigenous people can help grow their medicine and have the, the possibility and even the legal possibility to grow. Keep the same for ayahuasca and other, and you will uh, have a lot of information there. Grow Medicine uh, will have the link there. Uh, I'll, I'll have it in my Instagram handle and I think here in the podcast as well. The link will be out there so that people can can see that that, that campaign, this organization uh, that I'm working with. And also, I am right now part of the Voice of America. I'm, I'm focusing on creating an NFT art project. So those of you out there that you know, know about NFTs that are interested in NFTs, uh, this project is to visibilize and support uh, the work of uh, assassinated uh, indigenous leaders and activists. Most of the of them are coming from the Americas. The um, uh, project is called uh, Defensores, the, and, it, and it's the defenders. Uh, Mexico, Colombia, Brazil has the highest amount of assassinated uh, activists and indigenous leaders in the world. The the numbers have uh, reached uh, um, every year. You know, uh, we have the the highest numbers. Uh, uh, in the world and, and keep on going up. So it, it is because uh, many of them are working actively, like I said, in protecting rivers, uh, ocean, uh, mountains, and, and, and um, uh, you know, actively working um, to stop a big uh, uh, extractivism industries and put their life in danger. And um, so this is a way to keep their their faces, their names, to bring them, to not forget them for what they did and to bring attention to the work that they were doing, to the campaigns that they were spreading, to the territories that they were protecting, to the organizations that they were working with and that we will be donating uh, part of the raised funds of these uh, to the the portraits. Different artists are participating, doing, doing different portraits. The money will go to the different campaigns and also to the artists and to the uh, and the project itself to keep going. So this is called Defensores and you will see there the link in my Instagram so you can see the art and, and support and participate. And if you know, you're know you an artist and you want to participate as well, um, please contact us. So yeah. Beautiful. But Ivan, it's such a pleasure, man. Thank you for sharing your perspectives, your, your history, your work. Uh, I'm really glad that we got put in contact. It's great to get to understand you and your journey a little bit more. And uh, I look forward to following up on those projects that you have going on, man. Sounds like you're doing some beautiful work in the world and I wish you the best of luck. Likewise. Thanks, thanks so much for having me and uh, really, really great to, to share this time with you here. Thank you for tuning into this episode. For access to all the links and resources that we mentioned here in this episode and in other episodes, go to risingman.org. It's all listed out there for you. Please subscribe to the podcast and drop that five-star review. Whether you listen on iTunes or on Spotify, you can drop a five-star and subscribe to the podcast. Please also check out our YouTube channel and drop a subscribe there as well, youtube.com slash the rising man movement. So grateful for all of you guys who've been supporting us. Please keep checking out the work that we're putting out there and spread the message, spread the word, share the podcast and all the rising man stuff that we're putting out there with a man in your life today so we can keep growing. Until next time, rise up and claim your destiny.